Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Questions at the uh, microphone that's over there by the doors. Um, state your name. Keep any comments you have brief, please. And uh, limit yourself to one or two uh, questions. So, Lauren, we'll welcome you back to the podium. Well, thank you. Before the questions start, after being sandwiched between those youthful performers, I feel like the Grinch that stole Christmas. (laughs) But I'm sticking by what I said. Bev. Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you, Lauren. It's always such a delight to listen to you. Um, In terms of how do we save the planet, do you think that the message is getting out to our Alberta government that we want to have input into saving our planet in in regard to their, their solicitation of public input into the fracking changes that are going to come about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not close to our Alberta government, so I can't speak authoritatively on whether or not they're becoming more ecologically literate or understanding the purpose and function of public consultation. Certainly there have been a myriad of opportunities offered. I think the question is always, is the consultation a fair one? Yeah. Is it a timely one? And are the results of that consultation actually listened to, uh, adopted, and uh, formulated in some sort of legislation? And I suspect all of you are much more apt to be able to answer that question than I am. I I would hope they're listening. The uh, cost of not listening, I think, is too extreme. Thank you. My name is Klaus Jericho. Uh, Loan, thank you for your challenging, depressing talk. Uh, Always a pleasure, Klaus. Just one question. Uh, Is democracy the right process to deal with the issues we have to deal with urgently? Thank you for that puffball question. Some authors have, have, I think, thought about this more than I and have come to the conclusion that perhaps an ecologically literate benign dictator would be a better choice to deal with the issues facing us in terms of global issues, uh, national issues, provincial issues. But since that isn't in the offing, or at least it doesn't seem to be, is democracy a solution to this? My sense is that, first of all, democracy has to include most of us instead of the small portion that actually vote. And I think the other part of democracy is is that those people that are going to be part of a democracy have to become much more literate about their world, uh, essentially ecological literacy, to be able to focus on whether or not we're asking the right questions 
and whether or not we're getting the right answers to the questions that are being asked. Since I don't think we have an alternative to the democracy that we have, at least for the foreseeable future, it has to be something we have to work within. The ways that we work within it, I believe, are about asking the right questions. And asking the right questions comes from a perspective of awareness. Um, today is a, an example of an awareness session. There are many more, and I'm not sure how many people take advantage of those awareness sessions to ensure that they're better citizens and can participate more meaningfully, more meaningfully and more fully in the democracy that we have and perhaps form a democracy that we need rather than the one that we have. Bob Campbell. Thank you, Lauren, for a wonderful presentation. I hope you publish it somewhere so that it gets wide circulation. I'm sure the Chamber of Commerce would be interested <laughs> in it. Well, that's, that's actually right on where my question is going because and I consider myself in your camp. I, I agreed with everything you said, but I am always challenged when I talk to my colleagues, including people in my own family who are in business, and the business model that we have is one based on growth. And most of my environmental friends cannot come up with a satisfactory answer except to say, buy less. But buy less will not solve the issue of how do we sustain people so that they have employment, meaningful employment, etc. And I think that's where we who uh, call ourselves environmentalists have to get more creative besides saying just buy less because that message will not be heard by vast numbers of people because it affects their, their own livelihood. And I think that's where we need to – so I'd like your thoughts on that. It's a good question, and I, I'm not an economist. I, I don't pretend to understand economics. But I do think that we have a broken economic model. We have a model that, that tolls up all of the things that we do in terms of money spent for something called the gross domestic product. And that gross domestic product – you know, includes things like the firearms used to shoot children in Connecticut. It covers and adds to GDP the funerals for those children. It will cover the costs of bulldozing that school down and building another school. And I suspect that if that's the model that we use for economics, we have a flawed, flawed system. We probably need something more akin to the genuine progress indicators that uh, more progressive uh, countries like Bhutan use to understand where they're at in terms of citizen satisfaction. And I suspect that that's in part the answer to your question, Bob, about getting away from the, the broken economic model and understanding better that it's not about the dollars, it's whether or not we're happy or not. Thank you for the great presentation. Fellow biologist, uh, Madam Chair, I want to comment on your ability to stick handle your position there, and I think your your marriage should be very very successful. Thank you. Uh, Could you please state your name? Yes, I will. I, I'm afraid to, but I will. It's Joseph Natuk. Um, what I wanted to do is to just follow up with what's been said here, uh, Lauren. But I think I think uh, what I want to do is to uh, kind of look back a little bit and, and uh, over the last 50 years and and just reflect on the progress that has actually been made. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's always a lot of gloom out there, but I still think there's a little bit of positive things that are happening, and I think uh, 
in the last 10 years, for example, we've seen tremendous changes and progress in a lot of areas. And uh, I, 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 uh, I do feel not comfortable, but I do feel that we are making progress. Do you have that any observation of that as well? Well, ecologists and biologists have to be, remain hopeful. Otherwise, we, we buy into the Mayan calendar and tomorrow. The, the one cautionary note I'd provide you is that, yes, there are positive things happening on the landscape and within communities. But one of the things that we always have to, to balance against that is the overpowering weight of cumulative effects. The additive things that we do on the landscape, many of which never disappear from the landscape, and it's those things, um, as well as the as the additive features of, of chemicals, as I discussed in my presentation, that will linger with us as a legacy for a long time. And unless we start removing, reducing some of our footprint, I don't think I don't think that that optimism that I have can be shared much longer. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Lauren, you mentioned uh, dictator. Uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, Canada is ruled by a dictator right now. Is that the dictator you were thinking about when you... <laughs> Let's see, the, uh, the dictator that has uh, erased or gutted most of our environmental legislation. Mm. No, that would not be the dictator I was thinking about. Lauren, Terry Shellington, um, I really uh, wanted to explore further the kind of question that Bob Campbell raised. Um, there wouldn't be many who would, uh, in our whole culture, who would be opposed uh, fundamentally to the direction your, your presentation went. However, uh, when the rubber hits the road and we start making decisions, one of the crunches are jobs, you know. People are anxious about their jobs. And so to express his question differently, are there jobs in the in the culture and the world that you imagine? How do people uh, make a living? Well, I don't profess to have an awful lot of knowledge in that area either, but it seems to me, going back to my comments on the previous question and the answer about cumulative impacts, our progressive additive footprint on this earth, it, it seems to me that that's a place where employment opportunities are large in terms of, re of erasing some of that footprint, uh, taking us back to a time and a place where the Earth's ability, the Earth's resilience uh, is much greater. And those are the places where I think job opportunities are probably great. And where would we get the money to do that? Well, it seems to me that we're already suffering from that footprint if you think of the, the situation in our own watershed with the footprint in our headwaters and the impacts of so many things happening everywhere all the time, anytime, and the erosion and sedimentation that happens as a consequence of those activities, inevitably, as we understand gravity, that will flow downstream to us. And we will pay the cost, we will pay the price for that in terms of increased water treatment costs, a variety of other things in terms of uh, pathogens that get uh, carried as a consequence of bonding to sediment particles and so on. And so I suspect that things like that are the job creation opportunities of the future weighed against the costs that we will inevitably pay if we don't deal with that footprint now.
Hi, Lauren. Um, my name is Katie Lowe. Uh, I guess I just wanted to ask, you speak about, um, <laughs> you speak about uh, our community and things we can do in terms of uh, less purchases, especially over the Christmas season. Um, what are things that we can do as a local community in order to decrease our footprint and promote a more environmentally sustainable community? Thanks, Katie. Does this mean no Christmas present for me this year? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, I, I suspect we should start by treating our community as a community. That There are a number of people that live within our community that we could interact with more fully. And we could probably find things to do within this community that doesn't relate to the costs or the purchases of entertainment devices that uh, add to the consumerism that I talked about. I think the other thing that we could do is, in terms of treating it like a community is that a community is also a geography. And if we did things like starting to eat more locally, uh, support local consumers, uh, or support local producers with our consumptive habits, I think that would be a really progressive step forward to bond together and bind together our communities in ways that I think we would find much more fruitful and pleasant. My name is Frank Toth. Uh, if I were to mark your speech tonight as the uh, ex-speaker -speak professor in a local sense, uh, your first part of the uh, speech, I'd give you about a, a minus five. You scared the hell out of my wife <laughs> because she refused to go on a plane now, so you finished it. <laughs> For that, I am truly sorry. Bless you. Bless you. The rest of it is a very complete speech. With, with uh, uh, that's, that's quite digestible with all the laughs, what have you. Now, I think you had to tune in an earlier program at CBC. I've watched for over 85 years. They had a professor from the U University of Pennsylvania on, and he spoke exactly of what you spoke. We're destroying the earth, the cumulative effect of what we do. And the most poignant thing he said was, for God's sakes, don't subsidize the oil companies anymore. That rhymes exactly what Mr. Obama, President Obama, just told Prime Minister Harper at the G20 meeting. He said, quit subsidizing your daddy's oil company, Imperial Oil, Imperial Oil, because it's against our mutual trade agreements. Okay? Lastly, I would say that uh, we're, everybody asks the same question. What can we do to change the tide? Uh, I, for one, don't believe we have a majority government. 75% of our L Canadians voted against them or didn't vote. It's got 26.4 majority. So why aren't you educators pushing proportionate mode of election? That's, that's the fundamental basic foundation of our society. Wouldn't that finally answer some of the questions? Everybody wants to know what can we do. I would certainly answer part of Klaus's question about whether or not democracies are the effective tool to save the earth. Maybe proportional representation is part of that stepwise pathway towards a greater democracy. And in deference to your wife, I'll change the allegories and the metaphors. 
Uh, Stan Knowlton. Over my short uh, lifetime, I've uh, seen many changes uh, to our local environment. And uh, you know, one of the things that I always uh, have tried to bring up with a number of different researchers and investigators is this idea of a shifting baseline and um, how we use that to measure our progress, economic growth, uh, so on and so forth. But one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I can see over, you know, even the last little while is that when the uh, ice forms in a river today, it immediately starts to grow algae on it, and that never used to be the case. So I wonder if you could uh, make any uh, reference to this uh, baseline that it's often referred to and say going back to where it all started from, which would, would have been, you know, shortly after the last ice age. Thanks. I think the, the best example I can give you of a shifting ben baseline or a shifting benchmark is that in the uh, late 1880s, the Northwest Mounted Police officers based in Pincher Creek were asked to do a survey of fisheries populations within their, their jurisdiction, uh, showing that the federal government has had a role in Alberta's fisheries for a long time. But the interesting thing was that the uh, commentator who had actually been in Alberta or what would later become Alberta for some 15 years earlier, his comments were quite telling. He said, I wish I'd been here when the fishing was good. This was in the late 1880s. And that's an example of shifting benchmarks where we fail to understand, we, we don't have a collective memory of where we came from or where we started with uh, landscape health, with natural resource factors, even with the design and, uh, and the way our cities are laid out. And that failure to have that memory means that we keep shifting our expectations. And so every one of us perhaps comes into the world thinking that we have a full pie of resources before us, but the reality is we have a slice and that slice continues to get thinner through each generation. And essentially that is what's happening to natural resources and to the health of our landscape, particularly the health of our watersheds, is that we've collectively forgotten where we started from. And we've allowed these things to, to get to the point where now we suffer or will suffer significant issues because of them. Uh, the failure to recognize that things have shifted and the failure to remedy them in a timely manner while we still have the time. Thanks, Lauren, for your talk. Mary Shillington. Um, I'm encouraged with some things and discouraged with other parts. Uh, the fracking conference that went on in Camrose, uh, um, uh, Augustana, run by a group of students from the environmental uh, group. Um, so that's very encouraging that young people are, educated young people at least, are getting involved. I'm concerned about the bulk or, or a lot of young people who don't have any uh, concept of what the environment issue, environmental issues are and and how they can even begin to make a small impact themselves when I think of my our grandchildren who are young adults and and their whole buy into uh, purchasing and all those kind of things and not thinking about recycling or any of those kind of things so where do you see us needing to go because this is the future of our, our children and grandchildren and, and the world. Uh, where do you think we need, what do we need now to be doing? Well, as a comedian once quipped, it's not about leaving our children a better world. It's making sure our children are better 
so that there's a world to live in. And I suppose it starts basically, you know, with with educational facilities. It starts with uh, ecological literacy at all levels. And I think it starts as well by example. Um, where do children learn their buying habits? I'll leave that as a rhetorical question, by the way. I won't go into failure of your children then to learn the lessons. <laughs> Any other questions? If not, thanks again and Merry Christmas. Yes, please join me in thanking Lauren for a wonderful presentation. <laughs>